This is the Sermon Podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the first chapter. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. This is the testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, why then are you baptizing if you are neither the Messiah nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. Among you stands one whom you do not know, the one who is coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. This took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing the gospel of the Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. There is something alluring about candlelight. It has the ambience of of something very promising. What would a romantic dinner be like without candlelight? Seeing each other in candlelight softens our features and provides a glow of well-being, an atmosphere of pleasant intimacy. We also light candles in memory of past loved ones or as a kind of prayer for the needs of someone dear to us. And these votive lights that we light reach out to God's light for those who we care about. Advent candles punctuate our anticipation of the coming Savior. As we light each candle, we feel him draw nearer. The flame signals his presence. The light they give also points us to light as a powerful symbol in today's gospel. Light is precious. In biblical times, long before electricity and more advanced forms of lighting, the darkness was fearful and dangerous, and light from candles and oil lamps were virtual lifesavers. The Hanukkah celebration that the Jewish community is engaged in right now is the Festival of Lights. One candle lit each day from the menorah on the menorah 
to remember how the oil for the lamps held out for eight days, just long enough for the Jews to defeat the invading Greeks. Light was precious then, and it still is now, even after electricity. We depend upon the light that we generate to carry on our lives. The natural light of the sun shining on God's creation is essential to the growth of plants that feed all the creatures of the earth. We welcome the sunshine to dispel the gloom of clouds. And we say that even if it's really cold outside, if the sun is shining, it's not so bad. Light is precious to life itself. And John's gospel speaks to us of the light that has come into the world. It is a powerful symbol of what Christ is all about. He, more than any other light, is precious to life. All light of any source points beyond itself to the one who is the light of the world. All light, and no matter how bright, no matter how bright, does not possess the brightness of the light to which John bears witness. At the very dawn of creation, God said, let there be light. The light that is Christ is God with us to bring a new and everlasting creation into being, even as the light brought creation into being at the very beginning. It is the ultimate fulfillment of our Advent prophet Isaiah's proclamation that those who lived in darkness have seen a great light. The Gospel of John works a great deal with the symbolism of light and darkness. And there are a number of different ways in which people interpret darkness as a symbol. What does darkness stand for? For some, darkness stands for evil or immorality. In this interpretation, light would, of course, stand for the good and the ones that do the right and try to live a righteous life would be the children of the light. And those who do not and live in darkness are the ones who are immoral. So that would make the contrast a matter of morality. But if we think about the massive truth of what Jesus is all about, the idea of light and darkness to stand for morality and immorality is just too simple an interpretation. The symbol of light when applied to Jesus is much more than a matter of morality. Well, perhaps we could say that those who live in darkness are those who live in sin. They are at odds with God and God's will. They have given up on faith in God for faith in themselves or idols of human making like success or wealth or power. But all of humanity is sinful. It's a universal condition. So what then separates those who are the children of light from those who are the children of darkness? The answer is, I believe, that those touched by the light are those who have seen their sin and seen their need for forgiveness revealed to them by the light of God's word. 
But more than that, more than that, they have seen the light of God's forgiveness in Christ dispel the darkness of their guilt and shame and set them free to live and breathe again with a new sense of infinite worth. And the light of God's forgiving love penetrates even some of the darkest situations of life. I remember a woman I shall call Anna. She was very old and I was very young. A young seminarian in his clinical term assigned to some patients in the state mental hospital. Anna had a long history of being in and out of that mental hospital. Her file was thick, and many of the documents were yellowed with age. Each time she was returned to her family, some incident would occur that sent her into an emotional tailspin from which she could never recover. When I, was first, when I first met her, she was back in the hospital after just such an incident. She had by then outlived her family, but not her enduring mental illness. She was in the hospital for the duration, and the duration was becoming increasingly unendurable. She was blind, she was alone, and now she was also suffering a variety of physical ailments that came with her advanced age. Therefore, she was consigned to that ward in the hospital for people who had both physical and mental problems. It was the closest thing to bedlam I have ever experienced. A constant cacophony of cries and groans. And during those times together, she spoke always of her suffering, lying in bed in the darkness of her own vision and emotional night, constantly hearing the screams and groans of those around her. In the grip of fear, misery, and loneliness, she cried easily and often. She wanted to die. And in the darkness, in her darkness, the light of faith still burned. And this light, it seemed, she could see clearly. There was no doubt in her mind that Jesus knew her suffering. God loved her and had a home for her. So we sat together each week, the cries of others all around us, and I listened to her refrain of relentless inner pain. I held her hand, and we prayed for death to come quickly. And with the word of God's forgiveness and a sign of the cross, we thank God for the promise of new life. Well, for a while I worried as an inexperienced seminarian if I was somehow theologically wrong to pray for death to come instead of healing. And then I realized that God's radical forgiveness and acceptance has set us free to speak openly and honestly to God, knowing we are loved no matter what is on our hearts. 
Anna wanted to die because she knew God loved her. She could see that light clearly. It was not a prayer of despair, but a prayer of hope and a prayer of yearning to be with Jesus. So I learned from my time with Anna another facet of the truth from John's gospel. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Extreme though Anna's situation was, her darkness is in many ways the darkness that is common to our humanity. There are times in life when we cannot see any light that will relieve us of the pain of our broken lives. We are haunted in the night by things we have done that we do not wish to be seen in the light of day. Why in the world did I do that? We toss and turn over words that break relationships. If only this, if only that. How will my family make it if I don't make it? Like the disturbing sounds of Anna's bedlam, accusations flood our mind and self-pity is close at hand. Sometimes the suffering is physical and brings deep emotional anxiety with it. And like Anna, we can cry easily and maybe sometimes often. Whatever our times of darkness, whether they are self-imposed or inflicted by our fragile existence, we long for some light to show the way, the way out to set us free. Whatever our times of darkness, whether self-imposed or inflicted by our fragile existence, it is the plight of humankind in a fallen world beset by our own wayward arrogance and neglect of one another and the good earth. We agonize like Anna in the blindness of the world, so beautiful and yet so violent and oppressive in so many ways. Who will light the way out of our darkness? The light of the crucified Christ shines on these sad realities and shows us the way to our personal need for God's grace and the world's need for the grace of new creation. In deliver, it delivers us from it delivers us to repentance, and it delivers us from the self-deception of misplaced pride. But in shedding that light on our sad reality, it does us the life-giving service of showing us the unbridled, inexhaustible grace of God, the light that has come to us and continues to lighten our darkness. Anna's complaints were not anger with God, though the psalmists have told us that we can sometimes express anger to God, perhaps a sermon for another time, Her complaints and prayer for death were utterly human complaints set before God, knowing that Emmanuel, God with us, knows all about suffering, knows all about suffering, and cares absolutely. So I held her hand, and we prayed for death to come quickly, 
And with a word of God's forgiveness and a sign of the cross, we thank God for the promise of new life. And we too, you and me, pray for death, the death of our old self that continues to hang on and leads us into the darkness from time to time. And for us too, there is that unconditional word of God's forgiveness, light in our darkness, the light of new life. And with every word of forgiveness and sign of the cross, the old life dies quickly and new life begins again. The light is coming. It's coming. It's brighter than any light ever seen. We, filled with anticipation, run ahead to meet it. However stumbling our step, however crooked our paths, the true light is coming and drawing us, drawing us onward to bathe in its brightness that we may shine with the luster of Christ's righteousness. May that light that comes to us also come from us to others. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.